Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you get your podcast someplace and you don't find us, I'd love to hear about that because I think we're everywhere. Please go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work. And you can feel free to send along a comment on our contact form. I really enjoy hearing from you. Please also feel free to just send an email to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, if I've done my math correctly, this podcast episode is going to be released the day before the midterm elections. And so I want, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about government for a few minutes. And I, I'm, what I'm not going to do is, is, is try to... Uh, uh, influence your vote. Uh, you probably voted early anyway, but I'm not interested in altering your vote per se. But I think one of the things that, you know, is, is kind of controversial today is this notion of Christian nationalism, whatever that is, and equity and equality. And, and, and really what it distills to is uh, what is a Christian to think about the world of politics? How is a Christian to function in with respect to government? And we've talked before about this. It's been a long time, but what we have talked before here on this podcast about government, it, it you know, it comes up a lot. It, it impacts our lives. And we, we talked specifically about Romans 13 not too long ago, uh, let every subject be, uh, every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. I heard a pastor say years ago when I was very young, he said, um, next time you get pulled over, be sure to tell the police officer that he's a minister of God. I'm not sure I'm encouraging you to do that, but uh, nonetheless, all authority is granted by God. If we have the right view of God, we understand this. This is this is not controversial. People love to confront me on this and say, well, what do you mean all authority is granted by God? What about evil dictators? Or what about Hitler? Or what about others? Uh, what about governments today like uh, Iran, uh, who, who are an Islamic state? Uh, or what about North Korea? Yes, all government is granted by God. And then then we have this controversial uh, juxtaposition where we go to Acts and we see Peter saying that we should obey God rather than man. And people say, oh my goodness, scripture contradicts itself. It really doesn't. The principle there is, is that we should be obedient to government and pay our taxes and all of those things. Yes, taxation is not theft. And uh, we, we should honor our government. It's instituted by God. God is sovereign and God is sovereign over government, even, I believe, bad governments. However, if our government requires to do something that, that, not, not, that in a meaningful way goes against scripture, uh, against our conscience even, 
then we have to pause and evaluate, should we obey God rather than man? So I don't think this is contradictory at all. I just think it's nuanced and we ought to be able to think like nuanced thinkers. So with an election coming up and with the assurance that I'm not going to tell you how to vote, because that's above my pay grade for one thing, I don't think it's any of my business how you vote, but I want to talk about the religion in the United States, specifically our founding. And and I want to talk about the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, that document that, if you own a copy, probably has dust on it. And, and I'm convinced most Americans don't have a copy. But that document that we, we tend to ignore and, and misrepresent, it's actually written as, as, at an eighth grade level, approximately an eighth grade level. And so it has words that we can read and understand and phrases that we can read and understand. Now there's some, there's some older antiquated references and some words aren't spelled quite the right way. And some things are capitalized that really shouldn't be capitalized for emphasis. And it's kind of a quirky way of saying things. And, you know, there's a, there's a school of thought that says, you know, you really have to know the, the, the period you have to know the the players who were in the, in the room at most of these meetings and, and there, there's just a lot there, but at the end of the day, this document is written so we can understand it. It, it only has seven articles and the first one is about the Congress. You know, there's the, there's the uh, preamble, which everybody knows or everybody can sing. And, and then there's article one, which is about the Congress article two about the executive branch. So article one about the legislative branch, article two, the executive branch, article three, the judiciary. And then the thing I want to talk about today is the constitution and religion. There, there are some themes in the constitution. If you've been to law school and you've taken a class called constitutional law, that's usually a pretty hard class, but usually they have good professors teaching that class and, and so you've, you've probably learned a lot of the theory behind the Constitution. And, and I, I think that's important to know. You know, what, what is it? What is it designed to do? Why is it so enduring? Why is it the most enduring governmental document other than I think there's one state that has a Constitution that is might be Massachusetts. I, I don't recall. Uh, it's either Maine or Massachusetts uh, that has a, a, an older constitution. So this is an enduring document. Why is it so enduring? It only has about 4,600 words, if I recall correctly. So it's brief. And yet it's so misunderstood. And and so you get into all the theories of the constitution and who were the people in the room and what did they really stand for and what did they mean? And, and oh my goodness, we have to go read the Federalist Papers, these, these papers written uh, anonymously and to, to influence, uh, to, to, to really to get the country to embrace this constitution, to get it ratified. And, you know, we, we have to go back and look at uh, all, all of that, all of the additional writings that went on at the time, the, the purchasing of newspapers and all the articles and, and all the speeches that were done, all, all of that to, to really understand this constitution. So both simple, straightforward, but also has some nuance and, and some complexity. So I want to talk today, though, about religion in the Constitution. And the reason I want to do this is this gets abused and misquoted and, and so on. If you've studied secularism, if you're a Christian, you have a Christian worldview, you know that one of the opposing worldviews 
and I teach a class on this this topic, but you know that one of the primary, if not the primary, opposing worldview to Christianity is secularism. Now, secularism can can be present in college professors. You know, you'll hear you'll hear parents and well-meaning teachers and guidance counselors say, "Oh, you're going to go off to X Y Z state school, and you're going to encounter encounter a bunch of secularists, a bunch of atheist secularists." who see man as centric to the world and not Christ, not, not God, not Christ, not, not Christianity. And so your worldview is going to oppose theirs and it's going to really be hard on you. And, and, and you're, you're going to be surrounded by, by, by secularists. And that is probably largely true as, as a, as a worldview. That's probably true. You'll probably encounter more secularists than, than anything else. However, some of those secularists are going to be in church with you. Who, who see the world as man-centric. That would have been me prior to about 20 years ago when I realized through the study of Scripture that man is not the center of the universe, not, not the central character in the narrative, not, not central to the story of human history. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but God is. The cross is Jesus Christ uh, in his his uh, life, d- death, resurrection, and ascension are central to all of human history. Thank God, not not me. So, th- this this secularism was not replaced by postmodernism. Now we have postmodernism as a kind of a new worldview over the last 30, 40 years. And the postmodernist believes that we're in a post-truth world, that truth isn't attainable and you're a bigot, you're arrogant if you think that you, you, you have grasped, you've been given absolute truth. They'll say stupid things like there is no such thing as absolute truth, which is an absolute statement of truth. So if we don't believe in absolute truth, we lose the ability to talk. We, we can't really communicate at all. So, but when we look at secularism, which has survived all these years, and, and I'm not just talking about the Humanist Manifesto in the, in the early 20th century, you know, it's three versions throughout the 20th century. I'm not talking about uh, Dewey and others who kind of hijacked the education system. I'm talking about this man-centric ideology that really permeates our society today. So uh, they consider their heroes this is this is probably going to be news to some of you. Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. Isn't that interesting? Now you've you've probably heard that we were founded by by Christians that we're a Christian nation, that Christian ideals are important to us. And and that's true. And some of the people in the room in Philadelphia when this document was written were were indeed solid Christian men. However, Jefferson wasn't one of them. And Franklin wasn't either. Jefferson was a deist and Franklin was different things in different phases of his life. I'm not sure what he was. I'm not sure really how to characterize him. Theologian is not the way I would characterize either of them. I would say they were both secularist. If you know, if you know history, you know that Jefferson removed the miracles from his Bible. He was troubled by Jesus Christ and by miracles. Ben Franklin kind of vacillated from whether you kind of have a hard time figuring out whether he was an atheist or what he was really. 
He said some things that sounded Christian-esque at times. And then still others were, were solid Christians. There were, there were several who, who said things like, I believe it was James Madison, maybe, who said this, that this document, this constitution is intended for a moral people and it would, it would not work for, for any other type of person. So there's this notion of being God-fearing in, in the Constitution. God is not mentioned uh, in the Constitution. You may have heard presidents getting sworn into office, and you, you've heard uh, from Section 1 of Article 2 of the Constitution the, the oath that the president takes, and it says this, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. And then you hear the expression, so help me God. Well, so help me God, you may know, was, was added by George Washington and has been repeated by every president since. It is not a required part of the oath, but it has been said as part of the oath in every inauguration of every president of the United States. So there's so much we could talk about. And attorneys, if you specialize in constitutional law, you're going to say, oh, why didn't you say this? And, and, and because really this isn't about the, the Constitution, the, the way the three branches work together so beautifully and check and balance each other, separation of powers, the enumerated powers of Congress. There's lots of rich material we could talk about. I want to talk about Christianity and the Constitution. And, and I, I'll tell you what I'm sick of hearing. That, so, so first of all, if you just look at the body of the Constitution— and, and we will have to go a little in, into, into a little bit of constitutional theory here that the, the amendments, the 27 amendments. So, so really, the Constitution has been amended uh, 18 times. The, the first time was t- the 10 first 10 amendments called the Bill of Rights. And then the, and then 17 more times for a total of 27 amendments. But in and, and those amendments are an integral part of the Constitution. There's quite a process where the states have to ratify an amendment to the Constitution. The way it starts, it could start a couple of different ways. The states can hold a convention to do so, or Congress can can start the process. But eventually, the states have to ratify the uh, it changes to the Constitution. And, and the beautiful thing is these men were, they, they thought ahead uh, very nicely. And, and eventually, three-fourths of the states have to approve amendments to the constitution. So they made it hard, difficult, but once an amendment is approved and we've had some amendments that have been canceled by others. And you know, you can, you can read those for yourself, like prohibition, for example. And once, once an amendment is approved is ratified by three fourths of the state, it is as much a part of the constitution as all the rest. So if we're going to address this question of religion and the constitution, religion and our government, religion and the United States, Honestly, we have to say it's only mentioned two times, religion, in the Constitution. If you find some other reference, veiled or otherwise, some sort of subtext, some sort of assumption somewhere, just sort of barely referencing religion, 
Send me a message and let me know, because I only find two. The last paragraph of Article 6, so the Constitution only has seven articles. The last one is just about ratification and signatures. So it's, it's, it's brief. It's just a, like a five-line paragraph. But Article 6 is beautiful for a couple of reasons. One, and, and this is the part that gets misquoted, and this is the reference to religion. In the main body of the Constitution, this is the only reference to religion. And it says, I'll just read the whole paragraph. The senators and representatives before mentioned and the members of the several state legislatures all executive and judicial officers, both of the United States and of the several states, shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. Now, isn't that beautiful? All of those people holding all of those offices are bound to support this Constitution. You can't be an anti-constitutionalist and serve in one of those rules. Now, you can interpret the Constitution various ways, and lots of people do. But then it says, so there's a semicolon after that clause I just read, to support this constitution. Then it says, but no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. So you get the context, right? It's talking about the fact that all of these people in all of these offices must take an oath to support the constitution. And if you've ever served in one of those roles, you know that you've taken an oath to uphold the Constitution. If you're a Florida representative or a representative of some other state, you've probably taken an oath to uphold that Constitution too. But you can't serve as a state legislator and not take an oath to uphold the Constitution. And then it says, but no religious test shall ever be required as qualification to any, pub, uh, any office or public trust under the United States. So there's no religious test with respect to serving in one of these roles, in a federal government role, any office or public trust. So no religious test as to, to qualify you as a candidate to serve in one of those roles. You see? And that's all it says. And, and you know, you hear politicians say, oh, no religious test. You mentioned religion. There's separation of church and state. And, and, and there, there's there's... There should be no religious test. That's a religious test because you let some Christian group occupy somewhere. You posted the Ten Commandments or you did, did something else that was religious in government. No, no, there's no, there, there, there's no religious test for hiring, for appointing as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. You can't, if you're a Baptist president, you can't say we're only going to hire Baptists in the federal government. If you're a Muslim president, you can't, I know I'm beating this to death, but you can't say we're only going to hire Muslims. If you're an atheist, pre, you know, you, you just, or a Mormon, pre, no. This constitution prohibits religion, a religious test, as a, as a qualification to hold office. It's just explained that you're going to take an oath to support the Constitution, but no religious test. So it says these men understood that this document is consistent with some religious principles, and it is. But the only mention, direct mention of religion is, is this little clause. So whenever... Hillary Clinton said when she ran against Donald Trump, you know, there should be no religious death. No, 
No, secularists have taken this and hijacked it and have said there should be separation of church and state. There can be no church activities, no. And and I, I just I just dealt with this issue. I never thought I would see this. I thought people who who said they were afraid of this happening were alarmists and and far right, you know, alt right kind of people, uh, religious zealots who, you know, scream at people with megaphones and the like. But now I've encountered this because the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, has decided that if an organization is a Christian organization, they have a loan program that I'm not going to go into, but they'll, they'll loan millions of dollars to businesses that aren't agricultural businesses, which is kind of weird from the USDA. But they've decided that Christian organizations whose bylaws say we are distinctly Christian, they've decided that, no, that you're guilty of civil rights violations. That's, how, that's what they've said. If you're distinctly Christian, I I'd just like to know what civil right is it that 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 precludes a Christian organization from saying we only want to admit Christians into our organization because that's our purpose. Or we only want to hire Christians. So so we're losing. We're starting to lose this. You've heard the warning cry for a long time. We're starting to lose this this ability to, for organizations to be distinctly Christian in this country. And, and this is th this it being a civil rights violation is, is something that good people like my friend, Matt Staver at the Liberty council and plenty of others, they, they, they defend Christian organizations against this kind of oppressive, unconstitutional behavior. So, so there, there's no reference in the body of the constitution to, to separation of church and state and, and and there's and there's really the only reference in the body of the Constitution to religion is that a, no religious test can be applied as a qualification to, to hold office. You know, in other words, we 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 don't have to just hire religious people to work in government. And you know that. But this gets stretched and and, and abused in, in, in my humble opinion. Well, We've only told half the story now. We're going to make things more complicated because we've got to look at the First Amendment. Many of you are thinking, oh, why isn't he referencing the First Amendment? Well, I'm going to now. The First Amendment also references religion. And these two places, this Article 6 that we just read from and the First Amendment are the absolute only places where religion is referenced in the Constitution. Some of you are going to be surprised. You're going to say, oh, what about the separation of church and state paragraph? Well, it's not there. But the First Amendment gives us pause. Here's what it says. Congress shall make no laws respecting an establishment of religion. This is known as the Establishment Clause or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of people to uh, people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Good luck with that last one, petitioning the government. But Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Congress, you, you know, you, you know about, you, you know history, and, and you know what was going on in England, and you know that the church and state did become one. And so in a sense, in the First Amendment, there is this notion that Congress can't, make a law establishing religion. There will be no state religion in the United States. 
state meaning our sovereign country as a state. So Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Congress shall make no law notice. So the federal government has taken this to mean that they they can't favor a particular religion. And I think that's true. I think that's what the framers had in mind. Or, here we go, prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So, you know, you know the the deal with John MacArthur out in California and 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 the the COVID lockdown and he 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 said we're not locking down and and he he in the state of California ended up uh, he ended up suing them and I think he won or they settled or something and and he got some money for that so so the the, the state the 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 United States government and and other governments that are subordinate are not to prohibit the free exercise of religion so and, and this is this is it that's the only other reference. And I, I would argue that that means that any interference in what the bylaws say or don't say, any restriction on hiring practices, whether direct or indirect, or admissions of uh, policies of Christian schools and the like, uh, in, any of those things, it, it seems to me, clearly violate this First Amendment. So we, we get the right to free exercise of religion and Congress can make no laws respecting an establishment of religion. They can't say we prefer the Roman Catholic faith or we prefer Baptist, the Baptist faith with their confessions or we prefer the Presbyterian denomination. Um, no, they make no law. They can make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Now, the Bill of Rights, and lawyers are probably screaming right now thinking, you've got to say this, so, so I will. The Bill of Rights is all about individual rights, if you notice, if you read, if you read the first 10 amendments. It's kind of the James Madison saying, oops, we probably needed to put this in, and we didn't. And it's actually quite beautiful if you, if you read it, you get... Uh, you know, my favorite amendment is the third one. Uh, it, it's the quartering of troops one. And I'll, I've mentioned that in a previous episode. So you can go back and listen to that if you want to. But but in even in the First Amendment, it's really talking about the right of people to peaceably assemble. And then there's the petitioning of the government. But we get freedom of speech. We, we can say what we want. The press is free. And we can peaceably assemble. And that means that Congress you know, can't, a means to that end is that Congress can't pass a law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting a religion. Now, some of you would probably like to have Islam banned from the United States. I would argue that you really don't want to do that because you'd be violating this amendment. Or maybe Mormonism or uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, or um, maybe uh, some kind of cult. Uh, you know, as long as those organizations are not violating other parts of the Constitution or other laws, this amendment gives them the right to exercise their religion freely too. So we all kind of have something, uh, a common interest here in freely exercising 
our religion. And we love these rights. We love the right of free speech and of the press. I don't, I don't like a lot of the things that the press does and says, and they seem awfully biased to me for the most part. But the press is free. And, and the implications of that are beautiful because we get information we otherwise wouldn't have. Now, we get lots of opinions that aren't worth very much. But anyway, these are the only two references to, to, to religion in, in the Constitution. So, you know, are we, a question for us to contemplate is, are we really a Christian nation? Well, we were founded, by and large, on Christian principles. Those lawyers, those imaginary lawyers I, I keep talking about are probably saying, John, you got to talk about the Declaration of Independence. Well, I really don't. I mean, I, I like that document. I think it's really cool. It's a, if, if you've never read it, I, I know you know how it starts and all that, but if you've never read the whole thing, I would, I would urge you to do so because it's a breakup letter with King George and, it, and it's, really, it's really quite aggressive. Uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote most of it, and he's a great writer. But it, it's an interesting document. Let's say it. Let's say it that way. It, it's part of our founding. It's part of the, our religious roots. There are lots of other documents. There are court cases. There, there are all kinds of other things that 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 we can say about our religious founding as a country. You can study the Articles of Confederation, even, and all all of that. But the Declaration of Independence does does mention God. This this guy who, uh, Thomas Jefferson, I, I made it clear at the beginning of this episode, is a, is a, a deist, a uh, secularist, uh, really, who he does believe, and, and the people who signed this Declaration of Independence signed off on the fact that, that there are these things called laws of nature and of nature's God. And, and, and they, I mean, it does mention, the Declaration of Independence does mention God, but but the Declaration of Independence is not integrated into law in the United States. It is not. It is a declaration. That's all it is. It's a letter. It's a, it's a letter that declared some things. And mostly declared King George bad, freedom good. So this constitution, this beautiful 4,400-ish word document that we call the U- U.S. Constitution is really what we hang our hat on. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to explain why to you now. Oh, and and, and I, I, want, I want you to be open-minded here that you might not have recognized the importance of this. I'm going to go back to Article 6. And I, I know this sounds tedious, but this is wonderful as Christians to know this. So religion's only mentioned two places, one in the body of the Constitution. There should be no religious test required as a qualification to any office. And then in the First Amendment, Congress should make no laws respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So we got that. We got the whole, we talked about the MacArthur case and, and church, churches and, and religious organizations are free to, free to do what they do. And they, they really shouldn't be discriminated against, although our society is increasingly becoming more and more secularist and is beginning to do that. But listen to this. That second paragraph of Article 6 is really important. And the brilliance of this document starts to become obvious as you, as you read it carefully and study it carefully. And I would even take the word carefully out of that sentence. You really don't have to study it that carefully. Just read it. Read it slowly. And here's what it says, that, that second paragraph. This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof. So, 
So this constitution is, is, the, is the Mac Daddy and, and all the other laws hang off of it. And, and then it says, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. This is called the supremacy clause. And the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. So I always tell students, your HOA cannot have a set of rules that violate the constitution. Your city documents, your county documents, your state documents, your state constitution, the actions of your state legislature, all of the above, all of everything is subject to, from a legal standpoint, from a law standpoint, subject to this simply written constitution. This is the supreme law of the land. So there's no rule that, that, that violates this constitution that, that in, in some other law or, or in some uh, uh, court case or, or some club uh, bylaws or some organization's articles or bylaws. Nothing can violate this, this constitution. And, I, and I, I said that really clumsily, but you get the idea. Otherwise, you'd have state constitutions that say, oh, we're trumping the United States Constitution. We, we allow that here, or we don't allow it here, but even though the Constitution says it, it should be or shouldn't be. No, this Constitution is the supreme law of the land. This was a brilliant addition to this document. So, so this USDA saying that, you know, not to beat it to death, but saying that, that that, well, wait a minute, that's a civil rights violation that if you only admit Christians, it's just not true. There's no, there's no stretching the Constitution anywhere to, that, that, that says that. The, the religious test is for hiring as, as a, as a, by the federal government as a qualification to serve any of those offices, state offices or federal offices. And they all, all of those people I read in paragraph three of article six have to take this oath. So, so they just said it's the supreme law of the land and all these people have to take an oath to support this constitution. So that's where we are. I'm just going to mention one other thing that could get us in the weeds. I don't want to, but I have to be uh, intellectually honest about this. There are really two primary theories on how to interpret the constitution. And this is always confusing to students because it's counterintuitive. Some people believe that it is a living document and some believe it's a dead document. When I ask students at the beginning of the year, which one do you think it is? Most of them say living because they think it applies today. Well, what that really means in constitutional theory is that if it's a living document, then it morphs with our society, societal norms, the definition of words, changes in the times, it gets just applied differently. And you hear people talk about the second amendment and well, they couldn't have possibly known that we were going to have assault rifles and other other guns, therefore the Second Amendment doesn't really apply anymore. Well, that a person who says that believes in a living constitution. If you believe it's dead, you believe that, you know, as soon as the ink dried in this, on the signatures, it says what it says and means what it means, that these are concepts. And yes, we can look at historical context, but it doesn't change over time unless amended. Conservatives are supposed to believe 
that the Constitution is dead. I believe the Constitution is dead. I, I, I don't, I'm not saying it doesn't apply today. I'm saying it's not morphing. It's not changing. So, so that's an important consideration here. And if you, if you believe that, if you believe that it says what it says, and that these are principles by which all our laws, on which all our laws hang, then, then you don't have any room for discrimination against Christian organizations. And Christians, this is, this is how we should look at this. You know, we're not entitled true Christians who follow Christ, who, who believe in the Bible and believe in scripture. We're not entitled under this document to any more privileges in this country than anyone else. You know, I don't want to hear, you know, well, we were, that's okay. That's fine, John, but we're, we're a Christian nation. We're, 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 we're not an atheist nation. We're not a Muslim nation. No, we're a nation of, of laws, not of men, but of laws. And, and, and we're a nation that was founded based on this governing document. And it references religion, a couple of places, and there can be no respecting an establishment of religion by the government or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, no matter what the religion is. So yes, Christianity has been uh, the, the, the most prominent of, of religions, true Christianity in, in our founding. However, not all of the men who signed this document, not all of the states were, were particularly Christian. So I think we need to be careful about that. At the same time, this document uh, um, allows it, it, it doesn't grant, it reinforces, by the way, but, but it doesn't grant liberty, it reinforces the fact that we have liberty, and it does so for all peoples of all beliefs, and we can get on board with that, and we can say, hey, that includes us Christians. So, I, I, I'm not uh, mincing words, I'm not tiptoeing here on this topic, I just think it's important to understand the relationship the Constitution has, the what the Constitution says about religion. I hope this is helpful. There's there's one other thing I want to say in, in closing, and that is the preamble. Some of you are probably thinking about the preamble or were when we started this. It says, it, it talks about the general welfare. and And really, you know, I believe, because I believe in Scripture, and I believe it is my source of absolute truth, our source of absolute truth, I believe that for people to enjoy the general welfare, and I'm not talking about the constitutional document, I'm stretching it a little bit, uh, the constitutional reference, I'm, I'm stretching this. I think for, for, for us to engage in, in spreading welfare, we have to evangelize. We have to talk about the gospel, which is why I mention it so often on this podcast. It's not to beat you over the head with it. But then it says, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. They had us in mind. These framers did. And they wanted to secure the blessings of liberty. They didn't grant the blessings of liberty. They said to, they wrote this document to secure the blessings of liberty. Isn't that beautiful? And it goes on to say, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. So what a great country. But let's don't twist the Constitution to suit some kind of implicit endorsement of Christianity. Religion's just mentioned two times. You can, you can haggle with me all you want. You can argue with me all you want. Arm wrestle 
all you want about about separation of church and state, but I don't find it in this document. It's separated in the sense that the state can't endorse a particular, uh, the establishment of a particular religion. I'll give you that. But, but there's no doctrine of total separation of church and state. Christian organizations ought to be able, should be able to, to enjoy public ceremonies, public events, public uh, right to protest, um, and, and, and so on. There's, there's this uh, secularism has, has, uh, has, has been an aggressive opponent of Christianity. It really goes back to our being, one of the implications of the fall is our being born haters of God. So I encourage students, when you go off to college, don't just look for secularists to condemn. Just realize they're doing what you would do in your flesh. They don't hate you. They're not trying to get you in a headlock and rub your face in it for the most part. They're just haters of God. They don't know what else to do. They're lost in their sin. They're hopeless. Wouldn't you be sad if you were hopeless? Wouldn't you want some other people to be hopeless with you? So I hope this is helpful, this discussion of religion in the Constitution. This is the only two places that is by no means a thorough discussion. Most of these podcast discussions are just to whet your appetite. If I've done so, I hope you'll go out and vote. I think it's tomorrow uh, if you're listening on the day that this was released. But I hope you did vote this week if you're just hearing this during that week of the uh, second Tuesday in November. And uh, I, I, my prayer is that God blesses, God continues to bless this country. He did, after all, ordain government. And we are subject to the governing authorities as Christians. And, and that, that is comforting to me. There's nothing that happens that escapes God. And, and uh, wow, what a, what a comforting truth. So I hope you'll come back next time. I hope you'll share this episode with others. Um, certainly not looking to pick a fight with anybody over, over this whole separation of church and state issue, but just wanted to be clear about what the Constitution says. If you have an opposing view, don't hesitate to share it with me. And if you agree, I'd love to hear from you as well. This seems pretty clear to me. You can send along an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. You can learn more about our work at johnwarrenmedia.com, our website. Send a comment on our contact form there. Otherwise, please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.